Welcome, YouTubers, to another episode of Jack of All Trades. We are very excited to announce that Brandon is going to join the team permanently. And um, I'm very excited for this because he gives us a much-needed third perspective from the institutional side. So um, with that, uh, Brandon, you want to lead off with the S&P this week? For sure. Well, we saw some big moves in the market this week as all North American major market averages reached all-time closing highs. It was the NASDAQ 100 that led the way. It was up 3.8%, and that was largely due to tech reasserting its dominance. Meanwhile, we saw value, epicenter stocks, and energy names sort of take a back seat as they consolidated their year-to-date gains. Now, if you were to ask me why the market was so strong this week, I could lead you in a multitude of different directions. We could look at a pullback in bond yields. We could look at a series of really strong economic data. But in my opinion, it's all about the market sentiment. We're seeing a shift back to technology and growth stocks, and risk sentiment is back on. This is really positive for the market because these are the elements in place that you want to see for the market to really move. So let's th look through the... Um, S&P 500 components, and we can really see why that is. So, Sam, if you could just pop up the S&P 500 data. Here we go. So these are, you see that? Perfect. Great. Yep. So Apple, Microsoft, Amazon.com, Facebook, two classes of Alphabet stock, Berkshire Hathaway, JP Morgan Chase, Johnson & Johnson, and Tesla, too. Yeah, look at that. Were you saying earlier that they're like they're overweight? Like those guys are what twenty five percent of the index? Yeah. So you take the five top names on the S and P five hundred, and those names make up over twenty percent of the index. So when those names do well, the S and P five hundred is a beneficiary of that. Man, that changes things. I would because like S and P five hundred used to be like a pretty good snapshot of the overall economy, but with these guys being so overweight, you think that's uh, changed a little bit? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, if you look at the performance of these five names, I got them right here. It's market moving. We got Apple up 8.12%, Microsoft up 5.6%, Amazon up 6.7%, Google up 6.6%, Facebook up 4.6%. Again, this is market moving. This is big tech reassuming leadership. And the great thing is these breakouts have just begun. Apple and Amazon have yet to hit all-time price highs. And when they do, they're going to be explosive. So we got the S&P pulled out over here. Get rid of this line. Perfect. And it's just a blue sky breakout right here. It's in the first week. And if you look at the NASDAQ, um, the NASDAQ 100 had an all-time closing high. Um, and I think it's setting itself out for a really nice week. Wow. So you think the market's fully recovered now, eh? Well, if you look at what we're uh, having next week, we have the start of earnings season. We have right. uh, US banks kicking it off. We got JP Morgan Chase. We got Goldman Sachs and Wells Fargo reporting on Wednesday. And we have uh, United Health, PepsiCo, and Delta Airlines reporting as well next week. You know, I want to ask Kaylin this. If you look at this chart, and I didn't tell you this was the NASDAQ, would you trade this or how would you trade this? Um. I mean, to be honest, like just if I was looking at it like that, I would say that's basically looking to get going parabolic right there. Like it kind of consolidated for a bit through what is that? Are those weekly candles there? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, like last July to like the end of the year kind of was like, say, a consolidation phase. And then you got that little perk over new time highs there consolidated for looks like maybe another month or so. And you get that next rip up, which we're in right now. So that's yeah. the kind of thing like to, to me. I mean, you know, if that was kind of like a three minute candle or something like that. That's the sort of thing where I'd be looking for that move to push up, push up on really high volume, really fast, and then exhaust, and then you get that pullback. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out on the index. Yeah, yeah. so as a technician, I mean, you usually uh, want to see when a, you have a breakout, you want to see a change of polarity. You want to see resistance turn to support. So I wouldn't be surprised at some point if we do have to retest. But in my opinion, that's a buy on a silver platter. Yeah, it's going up in decent volume too, at least the rising volume. So, you know, it's not uh, not too fake. Same thing with the S&P looks like. Yeah, how do you, you pop how do you... up any, any chart up there? Sorry to interrupt you, Kaylin. Yep. If you can pop up uh, Facebook or Microsoft, this is just a perfect example of why these breakouts are just in the early innings. 
you'll see it's the first week of the breakout. And we know that the beginning of the breakout is always the most powerful. Look at that. That's so a strong beginning of the month. As, uh, Brandon, as far as like volume and stuff goes, because I know like when I'm trading, like when I'm swing trading stocks and stuff like that, looking for breakouts, like I want to see those breakouts on significantly higher volume. Is, is that a little bit different when you're looking at indexes? Or? Oh, you always want to see volume. Volume confirms price. Uh, what I would say to this is uh, it's really technical and analysis kindergarten, I would say, is you would measure the point of breakout and you would measure that to the next consolidation period. And that's how far I would see the next move going. So I did that on Amazon. I can see Amazon going to like 45, 5,000, 6,000, really sky's the limit. Okay. Look at that. Yeah. That's a, that is a, that is a st very standard breakout from, from a sending triangle. This is beautiful. The other thing that you can do, and me and you, David, did this the other day, was we uh, put Facebook and I believe Alibaba into log form. And we saw just a perfect parallel channel just going up over like, yeah. let me say, a 10-year period. Almost everything I, I look at is in log form. Look, so just from a purely technical standpoint, from this breakout for Facebook, the t price target's about three, just under $340. It's got about 8% upside. So that's exactly where the... Um, the target would be for Facebook. That wow. Wonder if it's like that for anybody else. This is Google. Holy crap! Look at Google. Yeah, Google's been uh, it's been a stealth move. It's been performing so well lately, and it's not getting any credit. I think Google may be the most underloved fang name. What do you guys think? Uh well, I mean, the stock price is showing a lot of respect. I mean, investors looks like they're giving them some decent respect. But do you see um, that almost, I want to say that's like a two and a half, three year consolidation from what is that, 2018 to like 2021? Yeah. Google has more traffic than any other than any other um, tech company in the world too, doesn't it? Like as far as online, like websites and stuff like that? Well, they own Google and YouTube and those are two of the yeah. biggest uh, websites that I can think about. Yeah, I remember listening to a thing, I think it was Elon Musk and he said the only company he doesn't try and compete with is Google. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, Google is basically the index for the internet, right? So, like, how do you how do you mess with that? I would yeah, say Google and Facebook, especially when it comes to advertising. Facebook is an advertising behemoth. The interesting thing about Facebook, I saw um, a prominent analyst say this. He said, if you take um, Instagram and you look at its revenues and you put the same multiple that Snapchat has, Instagram is worth more than Facebook itself, which is interesting. I agree. Facebook Owns yeah. Instagram, WhatsApp, and a multitude of other things. Yeah. So, so that's what I'm. No, sorry. Go ahead, Ken. No, I was, I was just gonna say, like, how do how does all the Facebook like hacks and stuff like that tie in with it? Like, David, I know you posted about that like oh. recent story. I saw that, but exactly. it's not the first time it's happened. And I know Facebooks tend to be really bad for that, for you know, posting bad content and having hackers and people's data loss, like. Is that really affecting? I call it the Mark Zuckerberg discount. And this is why I think Facebook <laughs> is so cheap. You had Cambridge Analytica. You had all of the drama of the previous elections. You have all of these hacks and everything else. But at the end of the day, that's not a reason not to buy Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand that. I was just kind of curious if people are like getting nervous about it. Is I think there's that, that nervousness. Do you guys have Facebook? Or? Yep, we own Facebook. We're a big holder of Facebook. It's a great company. Yeah. You know what? I'm very curious, though. I wonder if if the government's going to do to Facebook what they did to Microsoft those decades ago, which is break them up, because I would love to see Instagram split off from Facebook, because Facebook yeah. is dead weight in my mind. Yeah. Honestly, like just from a personal level, the only reason I have Facebook is because a couple like my grandparents are on there. Otherwise, I wouldn't even have it. <laughs> just have I haven't exactly. updated my Facebook profile picture since 2015. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. I never, I'm literally, I think I go on Facebook maybe like once every couple months just to look quick and then I'm out of there. Like I use Twitter for news and I use Instagram for like to yeah. keep up with all my friends. Yeah, I think Facebook, uh, sorry, go ahead, Bernie. It's an interesting point that you brought up though, David, about breaking up some of these big tech companies because we've been hearing that from a lot of the politicians for years and it just never happens. And especially now we have a democratic administration now, you would think maybe that would be one of their policies, one of their things that they would get going, but it just doesn't seem like that's going to happen, at least at this point. Yeah, well, to, 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 to be fair, Biden's got a lot on his plate. You might see it in year two or three. But um, my, my thing is about Facebook. Is that, 
That's uh, depends on how much Facebook funded his campaign. <laughs> let's let's be real about that. <laughs> but no, I was gonna say like I I viewed Facebook as a missed opportunity because I remember about good a good six seven years ago I thought Facebook was gonna be forever because the way I viewed it was that they the, Facebook will become the digital diary of our lives because you could like can you imagine us in our sixties and seventies we log into our Facebook account. We can not only see photos we posted decades ago, but conversations we had with friends. Like, how cool would it be to have that resource? That, that's like priceless. ultimate digital archive. It really is. Right. And that's how I view Instagram more so. It's priceless. But then somehow along the way, they just lost the that thing that makes you want to use it. It's become a, a dump for arguments and, and propaganda. And they mi missed opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I, that's why I like I don't have very many people on Facebook. I don't follow any pages because it just, it just seems like it's all scam, all advertisements. Like it's not even really that user friendly. Like I've even tried to open business pages on it and it's it's just not a user friendly platform for any of that kind of stuff I find. Well, yeah. the interesting thing about uh, the uh, e-commerce on Instagram, they are growing their sales 80% year over year. 80%, 8-0. Yeah. Yeah. Is, uh, what's someone call it? TikTok, Ch the Chinese version of TikTok is so much more powerful than the US version. And Instagram is actually behind because I have the Chinese version, right? Like you could have, you could post a photo up and link it to your store and you could just sell whatever product that you want. Like they made it, they, they commercialized the, the whole platform. It's amazing. Yeah. I think Instagram's missing cool. an opportunity. Instagram has that too, though. Like a lot of the, a lot of the pages you can follow on Instagram, like business pages, uh, like, you know, people that sell clothing and stuff like that, you can open up the picture and click on the picture yep. and it'll say, like, yep. a price tag, it takes you right to the website, right? Yeah, they have the functionality, but what they're doing is they're making it um, closed to most users. You have to have a certain amount of following. You have to be, yeah. you have to say that you're a business, you have to pay, right? Whereas, like, uh, the TikTok version of China seems to have, seems to be less restrictive. Like, you could be almost anybody, you just want that function there, let's put it on. Okay. Yeah, that would make more sense, especially if you're yeah, a starting sure. business, right? Then you can use that feature right away. It's like, yeah. like for me, like when I was when I was doing my personal training and stuff, I couldn't set myself up like that on on my Instagram account, which is kind of a big hindrance factor. That's why I started doing it all. But then you know, yeah. I have, my dog has like thirty thousand followers, so he's a business technically. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Facebook's making a big push towards this with Facebook Shops, their deal with Shopify. I think maybe it's taken a little bit more time for that market penetration, but I'm definitely seeing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, Caitlin, what did you see in the markets this week? I know you you mentioned you, this was a bad week. Yeah, it was like this is the first week in, I don't know, probably like over two months that I didn't make any money. <laughs> it was just like, it was really, really slow. I mean, it was just like, it seemed like everything just dried up, like nothing was moving. I mean, like, you know, normally when I do my scanners every day, I'm getting like, you know, 15, 18 stocks on my scanner. And like, there's generally maybe eight or nine or 10 that look pretty decent that I can kind of dig into. And this week I'd get, you know, maybe 10, 11. And there was like, I mean, you know, I was sending you guys my watch list. There was maybe like four or five. And even out of those, there was only maybe one or two that I was really half interested in. So it just seemed like there wasn't a lot of like, cause I, I play smaller cap stuff, right? So I'm playing all like, you know, the smaller accounts and like retail traders and stuff like that. It just seemed like a lot of people weren't really, like looking at the markets anymore and that that is kind of like typical and you know in, in my like my in those markets that i play is once you get into the summer a lot of it kind of dries up a little bit because i think a lot of traders go on holidays like a lot of people work and stuff like that so generally the summer months are much slower than the winter months but like it, it seemed like it just dried up like like within a week it was pretty crazy well, I do love your strategy how you look for those gap ups and you try to trade that gap fill yeah yeah, it's like like the, the patterns I play, I have basically three trades that I do and that's all I play. So I'm looking for really specific things because I know what works and what doesn't work. And that was a problem this week is I was looking at stuff and like, you know, like, I mean, some days, you know, I don't I don't trade all the time. Right. If there's nothing there, I'm not going to trade. But I made that mistake twice this week and it just, you know, I got burnt by it. But you know what? I'm going to give you so much credit for that because I tend to trade when I know I shouldn't. <clears throat> and uh, we'll talk a little bit later about my PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's but like what I said that. to you, Kalen. I said, if there's no waves, you don't got to surf. Yeah, that's the biggest thing, right? I mean, like, like that's why I do so much reading on psychology is because I, I'm such a strong believer that psychology is the most important thing if you want to be a good trader. I mean, like Absolutely. all three of us, I think we could probably agree that, you know, you can show anybody who's never seen a chart before basic support and resistance and yeah you know if this breaks you short here if this breaks you buy there i mean 
that's very straightforward, but it's, it's being able to do it in the moment with your own money. And, you know, if it whips back, not getting scared out, I mean, just like, you know, if you lose six days in a row, maybe you're, you know, it was just six bad days in a row, but maybe that pattern still works. Right. Like I, I've mentioned before, you know, let's say you have a, let's say you have a, a setup that works 80% of the time. That doesn't mean that you're going to, you know, you're going to make four trades that'll work and then one won't, and then four will work and then one won't. It could be, you could get 10 that don't work in a row and then you could have 50 that work in a row. Right. So it's, it's just that, that mental abuse you're constantly taking where it's like, okay, am, am I doing something wrong now all of a sudden, or is this just a bad string of that setup? Right. It's well, just emotions can be extremely powerful, especially yeah. in the heat of the moment. Hundred percent. So you really just have to adhere to your discipline, and if you see the opportunity to trade, then great. If not, sometimes you just got to walk away and call it a day. Yeah, exactly. That's the biggest thing that people, you know, that I always tell everyone too is, you know, it's it's better to not take a trade than to take a loss. It's a lot easier on your on your mental capital, and you hear that a lot. I mean, any of the guys that trade a lot, they say, you know, oh, I made X amount of dollars today, but I burned up a thousand percent of my mental capital, and some of the guys will take the next day off because you're just like you just get fried. I mean, I, I was talking to David about that too, you know, like back when I could, you know, I'd look at the, I'd look at the monitors all day. And like, by the end of the trading day, if I'm watching the markets for a whole session, like I'm just like exhausted, like granted, I didn't really know what I was doing back then. So it was kind of a little bit more stressful, but you know, I'd have to sleep for like two hours in the afternoon. I'd be more tired than doing a 12 hour shift at my regular job. <laughs> yeah. There was this one trader I was listening to a while back. He was like saying like, when, the only time he'll trade is that he'll wake up in the morning. He's got this checklist of things. He's like, did I get enough sleep? Am I well rested? Am I stressed? Is there anything else that's bothering me? And if you and if all those components are there, then he'll look at the chart and trade. Otherwise, he's like, I, I, I'm not going to be right. Yeah, exactly. And that's 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 probably the toughest thing because, you know, you got to go through that huge learning curve when you're first starting out is like, you know, what what is a good trade? What isn't a bad trade? Because when you first start, like you don't know what you don't know right? <laughs> when you get better, you know what you don't know. So you can look at something after you've been doing it for a while and say, okay, I don't know what I'm looking at, so I'm not going to touch it. But when you're new and you don't really know what you're looking at, then you don't know. You can look at it and you don't know if it's a, a good trade or a bad trade, right? You just got to learn. But it's uh, it's definitely a, a, a long journey to get to that point. And once you get to that point, like I said, I mean, you know, I've, I've made money every week for two months. This is the first time I didn't. And I I know exactly what my mistakes were. I mean, I, 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 like every time I take a trade, I write a little summary on like what my suggested entries were, what my exits were, like what I was thinking. Like I have, you know, hundreds of those for every single trade I take. And I just went back and read them and both the entries from both trades were almost the exact same. And I was like, I, I literally just made the same stupid mistake two times in a row. <laughs> I, I, I was just going to ask. So it's, it's from uh, making a mistake, not just stopping out just because the price wasn't doing what you wanted to. Yeah. So I still stopped out. Like I didn't like, you know, I was basically break even, like I didn't really lose any money. Yeah. So, um, I always still like have a, I always still play with really tight stops, but uh, it was just, it was just a matter of, you know, I was just getting too like overly excited basically because the markets were so slow for so many days, you know, normally if it's like one day, it's like, okay, whatever, not a big deal. But you know, you go for a few days in a row when you're not seeing anything, you feel like you're like, ah, oh, man, like I want, you know, like, I mean, at the end of the day, we're just like, you know, we're degenerate traders. <laughs> we, we like to trade. So. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, I have to admit so, that. Yeah. But to so that just, point, like you're saying, you're seeing the market slow. I know, um, Brendan, we wanted to talk about uh, this article. Sam, if you could pull up the uh, my screen here. Uh, Jeremy Siegel was saying the stock market could go up about 30% before the boom ends. Yeah. I thought that interesting. Well, let me just say, I have a ton of respect for Jeremy Siegel. He's a professor at the Warden School of Business. He's a PhD in economics. He's written some of the most, some of the greatest investment books. Uh, and it's always a pleasure to hear his views. He has a really great pulse for things and his track record over the years has just been phenomenal. Um, so in this article, he's basically saying that he sees a really strong bull market forming for equities. And he sees uh, the economy picking up as uh, the reopening uh, takes hold. He's predicting 30% upside for the equity markets. I'm assuming he's talking about the S&P 500, which is just incredible because the S&P 500 is already up high single digits year to date. So I definitely think that could happen if the names that are really heavily weighted in the indices, the names that I talked about earlier, if they start to continue to lead the rally. Uh, at the same time, however, he does see some inflationary pressures starting to take hold. 
However, he sees the cost of borrowing not going up as much. So he's urging investors to invest in real assets like real estate, like stocks, and he's increasingly bearish on bonds. So the bottom line of this article, he says, enjoy the ride. It's going to keep going. And Jeremy, I'm with you, man. So he's calling for 5,000 S&P. 5,000 yeah. S&P. That yeah. is uh, one of the boldest targets that I've seen. Wow. And it definitely could happen. It, it could be a piece of cake, actually. I mean, the way things have been going. Does he have any projected yeah. time frames on this or that's just what so he's saying? He's saying by the end of the year. And then he's saying oh, yeah. after that, we may wow. see a 20% pullback uh, due to maybe the Fed not raising interest rates, but tapering their balance sheet. But okay. he was uh, further saying that that would be an amazing buying opportunity. So if that does happen, you want to be there. Uh, you want to be there buying that dip. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, I've been, I think I've mentioned this, we, Kayla and I have had discussions about this uh, in the last couple of episodes where I, I was talking about going more in cash. Because mm -hmm. I remember, I, just from a pure technicals, I was looking at the S&P. Remember that there's that one, one day, one night where I studied like 100 years worth of the S&P and I'm like, yes. we might be due for a pullback. I remember that. Right? So I'm like, I kind of, so it's, it's amazing that he's giving support and, and details on how that could happen, but... Right. Uh, I, I definitely want to be more in cash now. For so, sure. Well, there's always a correction that's looming. There's always one. I mean, the market's cyclical. Uh, but yeah. if you sell now and you miss out on 30% and then the market goes down 20%, you're still underwater. So that's why I would rather not time things. And I would just, um, I would just load up on the names that you're the most bullish on and uh, always have you know a little bit of dry powder. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was loading up on the dip, actually. So I'm, I'm sitting, I just looked at my portfolio yesterday. Between all my portfolios, I'm about 10% in cash. And so, and so I want to I be more comfortably in like around 30% in cash. Because, I mean, with everything that's going on, it, it's so hard to predict. Like, like talking about the, the markets, like I, I've never found it. I don't know if, if you've seen the same, Caitlin, but I've never found it so difficult to, to trend to track the prices of any asset they just they're just being bipolar it's very wonky yeah i think that still just has a lot to do with that retail trade and stuff like like what do you guys think as far as this like when we do get that 20 percent pullback say it is is that is that an economic pullback or is that just a correction because the march pullback we had last year that was just pure panic from the coronavirus that really wasn't an economic you rarely see uh market sell off with that magnitude that we saw in march that was truly a once in a lifetime once in a lifetime correction. I mm. thought that the correction at the end of 2018 was really powerful in magnitude. If you remember that, David, that mm. was just, um, that was really, really painful. And that was right after uh, Powell said, we're a long way from neutral. And then he reversed course. He did a 180, he went in the other direction completely. And they brought interest rates essentially to near zero, even before yeah. uh, we even knew what coronavirus was. Uh, so to answer your question, Kaylin, um, I don't think it's going to be an economic. I think it's going to be more like sentiment. Like if we do go to 5,000, how many new buyers are going to want to, you know, enter, enter their positions at that level. And then you may have a lot of people that are in profit when a lot of people are in the green, a lot of people want to profit take, and it's just sort of cascades down. And that's what causes a sell-off. But at some point there's that level that people start buying because they anchor themselves to these levels. So right. I think it's just going to be profit taking, lower high, higher low type thing, like something like this. But the market's just going to um, uh, reassume uh, the uptrend may take a couple of months for the market to reset. But eventually, uh, we will eventually see higher highs. I mean, it's the market. We believe in America. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's that's the same kind of mentality that I use in my trades as well, because I'm trading, you know, lower price stocks. And if you're getting something that's going to new highs, like, you know, let's say the stock's at seven or eight bucks and, you know, it's breaking out, $10 is kind of the next area of interest if there's no other support and resistance, right? Because it's just yeah. that it's just that mental number, right? You know, 10 bucks just kind of looks like that's a good spot to get in. And more often than not, it kind of works. And then after that, you'd be looking at 15, 20 and so on and so forth, right? Yeah, it's all psychological and people always anchor, oh, I bought at this price. So if it goes back to that price, I'll buy there and I sold here. So maybe I'll sell again when it goes there. Like people always use that mentality um, when really they're just arbitrary numbers. And that's why when you see gaps, uh, gaps usually occur in the same region 
because there's not enough people that have made that mental note that no, oh, like it never traded from 17 to 19. So I'm not going to buy there. I'd rather buy it when it breaks 20. So it's all psychological and it's just, it's just numbers. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Actually, I was even, I was explaining to one of my, uh, one of my friends the other day, just about like basic support and resistance. And uh, I think we were even talking about that in our podcast a couple of weeks ago, David, is, you know, just when you're drawing your levels and stuff like that, or if you're looking at numbers, even indicators, you know, like the, the moving averages and stuff like that, the reason certain ones work isn't necessarily because they're great indicators. It's because those are the ones that most people are using. Yeah. Same with support and resistance levels. You want to look at those levels that are really, really crystal clear, because if you're kind of trying to read between the lines and say, oh, maybe this is a level, maybe that's a number, odds are not a lot of other people are seeing it. So it's going to hold less weight. So you want to you want to look for those things that everybody's going to clearly see because those levels will hold the most weight. Yeah, it's just basically mass ecology, right? But what makes mm -hmm. it interesting is that when something becomes too obvious, then you start to think, shit, are people going to front run this thing? Right? <laughs> <laughs> it becomes more interesting to play. Yeah. It probably depends on the stock, right? And, and something that I would, I would play, I would say maybe, but I don't know how that would work on the broader markets. Well, look at yeah, uh, broad markets. It's just uh, too efficient. It's just too liquid. Uh, I don't think that would happen. You have all these high frequency traders and uh, different institutions and retail guys. It's just there's just too many players and too much volume. Yeah. So I, I wanted to ask Kalen, now that you mentioned the psychology thing. So <laughs> I've, I've basically taken a break from trading Bitcoin futures because it whooped my ass for the last month. Like I entered March, I exited March about what, what about even with what I started. And that doesn't okay. sound so bad, except there was like a 24 hour period where I literally just went on tilt. Like I was way down and I took a few trades that was just stupid. There weren't even trades. They were just gambling. Yeah. Right. And it happened to flip my way. And that's the only reason I ended up even. And so after it flipped my way, I ended up even, I'm like, I'm just going to like, <laughs> just hang back. You know, I've got like, I've, so my, the, my problem now is like my confidence is broken. I'll see a play. I'd be like, I, I won't, I won't do it. And it'll play out. And I'm like, fuck, you know? Right. And, and I know you read a lot of books about it. So I don't know if you, there's anything you could tell, tell me to help me out or. I, I would say first thing you want to do is just have a green day. Like after you have a couple big losses or even one big loss, or you're feeling a little bit like not confident just aim to make literally five bucks. Like if you walk away the next day and you have a green number in your account, just mentally, that's going to feel so much better. And then you can go into the next day saying, okay, you know, that, that trade is working. You're going to have no emotion attached to it because you're going to be risking nothing compared to what you usually do. You make that five bucks and that's going to, that's going to validate that you still know how to trade. And then the next day you can go back in and whether you go back right back in full size, maybe you jump up to half, you know, the progression can be relatively quick because you already know what you're doing, but biggest thing you want to do is just be green the next day that's that's from from my experience anyways and everything i've read that's that's so so important is just to it's just a mental thing right because i mean you said it like how long have you been trading bitcoin right it's you you know you know what you're doing i know you know what you're doing but you're just second guessing yourself right now so just take the emotion completely out of the table trade really really small size and just execute that pattern and make a buck and then you'll prove to yourself that you know that you still know what you're doing so uh lower the size but but don't take time off i mean you could take some time off if you're just feeling like mentally you know burnt out and exhausted that's a, that's a different thing but if it's if you're just getting kind of stressed out about the trade then yeah i would say just go right back in and just just get a green day yeah, yeah so i was thinking of um because because i didn't know what to do so i decided to just step off step away and just right. like calm myself mentally a little bit um but making smaller trades might be the better idea I think that's probably the best way to go. It's it's really good too to like, you know, stand back and look at the big picture. Um I heard it I heard it explained a couple times actually in trading. I thought it was kind of an interesting analogy, so I'll, I'll explain it for you guys. But um they say, you know, in trading there's like three animals. There's like there's the eagle, there's the donkey, and there's the mouse. I don't know, Brandon, have you heard this before? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You haven't heard of it? Yeah, no, I've heard it a few times. So so basically and you you know, you can you can kinda tie whatever you want into it into that, but Essentially, you know, they say there's the eagle who's, you know, you're flying over top of everything. You're seeing everything that's going on. You know, you're kind of looking for your odds, looking for the best areas to kind of focus your interest. And then there's the mouse and the mouse is looking at all those really tiny, tiny details, making those quick decisions. And then those are your executions. And then there's the donkey, which is, you know, that's kind of where you need to go next, which is the donkey is just the workhorse, right? They're just the you know, you just work, you just put in the hours, the boring stuff over and over, looking at charts over and over and over, reviewing things. So you need to know when to switch between those things. So in your normal trading, you know, it's described as, 
you know, you want to be the eagle to find the trades you want to look for because you're looking at the big picture, you know, you're hunting basically, and you want to find out where the best place to hunt is. You find the place that you want to hunt and then you're the mouse. So now you're looking for that detail. You want to find exactly where you want to get in, where you want to get out, but you're still thinking about the eagle because you still want to not forget that big picture. And then, you know, when you're running into issues or you're learning new things, that's when you want to be the donkey and you want to just sit there and just put in those hours, you know, those boring hours, just run through the data, review all your old patterns and just go through the work. Because the the consensus was that, you know, if you're most people are only the eagle and the mouse, you know, they look at the big picture and then they look at the, the execution, but they're not willing to be the donkey for a while and just put in that boring work, you know, hour after hour after hour, just reviewing all these things because, you know, it sucks. It's not fun. Like we as traders, we like to trade. We like to make money. You don't like to necessarily sit there and just, you know, read charts and just read numbers all day long. But that's the only way that you're going to move forward is if you put in those boring hours. So I think in your situation, you'd kind of want to be in the donkey situation right now where I would say just go back, review your trades, put in that time and just look at them over and over. Think, what was I thinking? What are my executions? Do these trades make sense? You know, just look at look at your whole history for the past month and see kind of what sort of a progression you were taking. And that should give you an answer as to whether you were making mistakes or whether or not Bitcoin was just trading different to what you're used to, in which case maybe you need to learn because it's the markets are changing or maybe you just need to wait it out until it gets back to what you're used to. Yeah. Yeah. Another um, thing that I would do if I can just pipe in here, and I think that's great. I would probably suggest that you do that and you um, just analyze your sort of your whole trading pattern and your tendencies and everything. But then at the same time, I would also uh, take a week off. It's like you guys work out a lot. So you guys know sometimes, you know, you've been putting a lot of volume in and you just take a rest week and yeah. just let yourself just relax, clear your mind. I don't take rest weeks. Let everything just kind of recalibrate and then uh, get back at it strong. I know it doesn't sound like fun. You don't want to miss out. The markets are always moving. There's always a stock to trade and there's always uh, some profit to be made. But sometimes um, clear your mind and after a good rest week, you come back stronger. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. So you could combine both of those. You know, my problem is it's like missing the action. It's just I can't. It bothers me to feel like I'm wrong. Like I, do, I like something I no longer understand. You know yeah. that that it, well, it's like a little thing in the back of my head. Long enough, you've booked a loss. Everybody has. Warren Buffett has. I have. You have. Um, there's no one that has never had a losing trade. If they are, they're just a fool or a liar. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, it's it's been a while since I had like the streak of losing trades. Like I'm just always on the wrong side of it. Mm-hmm. But but the thing actually the thing that put me on tilt was that a couple of the times I saw the price moving against me, saw so a stop out, and within 18 to 24 hours, it did exactly what I thought it would do. It hit my target. It would just do a little something weird before it, and I just it would freak me out. And so there was like what? two or th- yeah. What? Sorry. What I would do in that case is, you know, because that's that's something that I deal with, like like the trades that I take, I'm always getting in in a range, right? Like, you know, shorting is kind of like where I'm at right now. So I'll, you know, let's say the stock is, I don't know, it's around three three bucks or something like that. Then let's just say I'm going to put orders at, you know, 320, 330, 340, and I'll stop out over 360. Um, I know I've mentioned this before where, you know, if the markets are really aggressive and there's a lot of volume coming in, I'll spread those out and I'll have to lower my size, right? So instead of going 330, 340, 350, and then stopping at over 360, maybe I'll go 330, you know, 350, 370, and then I'll stop out closer to four. But now I have to use less size because I'm hitting that bigger range, right? So it could be something like that as well. And on the flip side, you know, if you are like David, if you are shorting and dip buying or anything like that, what you can do, you know, I don't know if it'll work for you is, is add once you have confirmation. So use a smaller size, maybe use 30% of what you usually do to get into the trade on a bit of a range. And then once you see it actually confirm that what you thought was correct, then you add in the other 70%. And then you're risking off that that low or that high, which is now defined. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I, I think I did find myself taking larger positions and not sizing in like I used to. Mm. Yeah. I think you've nailed it. I think I yeah. Especially in crypto, I've noticed there's a lot of like bull and bear traps and false breakouts. Like yeah. just something like yeah. you know, like you see like a nice breakout and then it does a um, a breakdown out of some sort of channel, whatever, and then uh, you get stopped out because you got your stops in because you're being a responsible trader, and then <laughs> it just ends up just high volume just going the other way. 
Yeah. Just completely, you're just in disbelief. So I've seen that in crypto a lot. And I'm not sure if I trust the volume that's being reported on these exchanges. I really don't. I think there's a lot of like weird trading. Yeah. Like I think the exchange is like, yeah, it's really, really strange. I, I actually read an article about that. Something about 40% of the volume on crypto exchanges are fake. It's just watch trading. Really? Um, yeah. And that's what I don't like about crypto. Yeah, and I'm hoping I'm hoping now that with the Coinbase IPO, at least a good portion of, of the volume and those you know regulations will come into play and it'll be less less um, vulnerable to those kind of um, manipulations. We're done. We're gonna have to definitely uh, cover the Coinbase IPO later to the date. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, did you want to cover the NFT crash, or you want me to go into the semiconductor thing? I would love you to go into semiconductors. Yeah. All right. So I've been I've been reading up a little bit about this, Sam. If you could pull up my screen. Um, well, there's a couple of things that I found that was really interesting. I mean, we, I mean, it clearly happened with COVID, and when that happened, the auto industry basically canceled all their orders for the chips, right? So the foundries are like, okay, well, let's shut our shut down our businesses. Um, but the, what's made it interesting was that it was the perfect storm of things that caused. Um, the demand because you have not only did you stop production for six months but you also have higher demand like the playstation like everybody wanted that the crypto was booming so everybody wanted video cards to you know to mine everybody um, was also rethinking how they were working how they were living i know a lot of companies had to yeah. invest in, uh, their digital infrastructure exactly like the cloud platforms whether it's um whether it's just data sharing data or like communications they all needed more chips like it was the perfect storm of demand. And um, what I found was, so it takes about, it used to take about 12 weeks from order to date of delivery for the chips. Now it's about 16 weeks. So we're about like about a month behind. And you have, and the problem is we only have three major companies that are making chips. There's TSMC, which is the big one. They're in Taiwan and there's Samsung and another one called Global Foundries. And so they've, they're investing in Intel. They're a little a small one, but they're, so they're investing in, um, in new foundries in Arizona. So Intel and TSMC are both opening up new foundries in uh, Arizona. I don't know what, what is about that state that makes it conducive, but so they're building it there. Um, the problem is those foundries take years to to finish. So we're talking like three years ahead. Um, so while demand's rising, the, the capacity to, to meet that demand is just not catching up fast enough. Um, so, there, so there's talks that uh, there could be, we could see inflation in the electronics because the chips are just not there. And then you already see it happening in the, with the companies like Samsung uh, said their note's going to be canceled for this year. They usually release one every year. This year's canceled, basically. Um, Apple's saying their Macs are going to be delayed. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of fallout from that's happening from this. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on on it, how to play okay. it. I think it's just important to really emphasize how important semiconductors are. They're the building blocks of modern technology. They are used in products like automobiles, cell phones, computers, tablets, gaming consoles, as you said, clean energy, industrial automation, like every single industry is being impacted by this semiconductor shortage. And yeah, you, uh, I don't think it started with COVID. I think it started with the trade wars of 2018, 2019. I mean, you could say it started from there, but it wasn't too big of a deal because the major manufacturer was uh, TSMC. So they're Taiwan. So they're actually an ally of the States. Um, but, but that leads to a very interesting point because now the US and China are both putting a lot of resources towards being um, semiconductor independent. Um, China is actually going to put something into uh, manufacturing as well. Wait, sorry, who's that? Intel. Your yes. <laughs> I got, I got, I got to talk about them a little bit, but yeah, they're getting into manufacturing. Uh, but here, so, but there's some interesting factors here. So there's a reason I want to short Intel. I was talking about that the other day and it's because what's well, for twofold one, they're building that new factory in Arizona, but they're using old technology. So Intel's, so when it comes to chips, there's these things called nanometers. So it's basically the size of the chip and how much uh, transistors you can put on the chip. And Intel is about a generation behind uh, the Asian manufacturers, right? They're about a generation behind Samsung and, um, and TSMC. And so their new foundry um, is still using that old technology. Um, so whether or not they can uh, increase capacity, it's one thing, but I don't know how, how competitive their chips are going to be in the future. And I just want to show you some charts, uh, Sam, if you can pull up my screen. I got a bunch of them. 
So these are good ones. So the new uh, Apple, they're using the M1 chip, right? And these and the old Macs are using the Intel ones. So these this is single core uh, benchmarks. The Mac Mini, the MacBook Air, the Mac Pro, these M1 chips are like 40 to 50% better than the Intel chips. And they're cheaper, faster, and take less energy. Multi-core performance, just the same. They're just blowing Intel out of the water. Right? And even so, so here's the thing. Intel and AMD use an architecture called x86. So it's basically a programming language. Uh, Macs are using, the new Macs are using ARM. And so programs written for x86 um, don't run that well on Macs. So then the new MacBooks, they have to use this, this little translation software called Rosetta to translate the x86 programs to work on Macs. And even translating those, that code over, they still beat Intel. They take a 30% performance hit versus native apps, and they still beat Intel. So this is not, this is not good for Intel at all, right? I want to ask even you, if, how are you playing yeah. this? Well, I, I, I don't want to short the stock because you, you don't know how high up it can go. But I do want to look into buying some puts, some long-dated puts. Because uh, I think it's going to play out. So this is part of where China comes into play, right? Yeah, Intel's building the foundry. They're trying to update their technology. Um, but the problem is, I think by the time they're, they've caught up, um, they're, they're, they're going to be behind again because China's gonna, now going to be independent, uh, chip independent, right? China's putting in $1.4 trillion to be chip independent by 2025, right? So, and, so that's going to, that's gonna, I think that's going to put a damper on the demand for Intel chips. Right. And there's another thing that's hap that's interesting, too. And, and so I would actually go short Intel either by puts or the stock, but most likely puts. And I would go long Apple, actually, and maybe even TSMC. And it's for this reason. Apple's chip, uh, Sam, you can pull up my screen. This is Apple's chip. What they've essentially done is put what used to be on a giant board. So this is this is an old uh, uh, Intel Mac, right? It's a giant board with these separate components. They've condensed all of that into one single chip. So the CPU, GPU, the RAM, everything is on one single chip, right? So what that allows for is massive efficiency in terms of size and power draw, right? So before where you used to have a CPU and a GPU both using their own independent RAM, now the CPU and the GPU are, using, are sharing the RAM. So this is why Apple's uh, computers are, uh, programs are running faster because before, if a CPU was going to process something that's better processed for a GPU, the CPU would take information from its RAM and copy it over to the GPU RAM, and then the GPU can run it. Now, because they're using shared memory, they both can access it at the same time. So it's just, it's just highly efficient. They've done a number of things to make their chip more and more efficient. And, so, and they've, what they've also done is created all these little tiny little chips that do only one job. Right? So they have one chip just for uh, HDR video. They have one chip just for uh, GPU. They have one chip just for HDR imaging. So they have one single chip for one single purpose. And they can do this because they control the entire stack, right? They make the hardware, the software, they make everything. Now, the reason I say this is going to kill Intel and maybe even the other companies is because they can't copy this architecture, right? Because if you're an HP, you're not buying... So th this, thing, this whole thing is called a SOC. So it's a system on a chip, right? If you supply uh, HP or Dell, Right, and your Intel, you can't copy this because Dell might have might have different needs than HP, right? In terms of RAM, in terms of what GPU to use, because Apple's all integrated, right? So I don't know what's going to happen in this industry, but it's forcing. It's I think it's going to make make all these software uh, hardware manufacturers like uh, struggle to, be, to to compete because they can't make a chip as good as uh, Apple's, and the, the reason Apple's is better is not just because of technology, but because of the integration. Right, so Intel can't make an integrated chip and sell it because uh, HP could say, "Well, we don't want that spec." Dell will say, "We don't want that spec." Sony will say, "We don't want that spec." So I don't know what your thoughts on that are, but this puts them in a hard spot. For sure, well, just semiconductors as a whole, I see a golden opportunity here. I've been bullish on semis for I want to say the past half decade, and uh, I think just now is the time for semiconductors. I definitely think that if you were to create a portfolio of semis, that you would definitely have to throw Apple in there too. Keep in mind, uh, NVIDIA's acquisition um, on ARM is going to be 
changing. I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on that, but you know, I'm, I've been long NVIDIA for a long time. It's one of my uh, favorite companies in the universe. I'm not going to go uh, too much into that one because uh, you know, the podcast would never end if I started to talk about that. But uh, do you have any thoughts on NVIDIA and ARM? I, I my, th- my only thought is I agree with you and I put my money there too. I, I went, I went, I, I, I sized into NVIDIA for the last six months since we've been talking um, because my thoughts are the same. Like, I knew they were a good company, but I didn't know until I spoke to you. And then I looked at their fundamentals, their financials and their outlook and where they are in technology. And I didn't realize how far ahead they really were. And so like my money's with them. Um, I did write a recommend a hidden gem though. Not really hidden anymore, but Sam, if you can pull up my screen, this company's called ASML. Oh, and ASML, they're like the, they're, uh, Dutch, I believe. Yeah, and they're one of the biggest hidden secrets, not so hidden yeah, secrets I, in the semiconductor industry. I like this company a lot. Yeah, they look at look at what they've been doing. Like, they had like a forty x. Mm-hmm. Oh, nine hundred percent, nine x in like how many years? Oh, but anyway, these guys make well, the video mach- too. If you pop up Nvidia's long term chart, it's had just the same uh, growth trajectory as well. And the thing is, these guys are the key because all the semiconductor foundries use their equipment. They're the only ones that make it. Mm-hmm. like they're the supplier and this equipment is so large that it takes an entire cargo plane to ship one and they've only made a hundred of them so like th- these guys are the key so i'm thinking of putting some money in these guys actually waiting for a pullback now the Sorry. volume is pretty thin up there eh? like on the volume profile well yeah. if that's the monthly it's just the start of the month right yeah, yeah but the whole, like, even the past few months, that looks pretty thin to me, doesn't it? Like, do you guys ever keep an eye on that when you're looking at like weekly charts and stuff like that? Or is that not really m- much consideration? Let me see. It looks like it's months. going up over the last few months. Yeah, it was higher last month. Like, it, it's still, st- it looks like it's stair-stepping up for, since but we're December. What? Like, how many trading days are we in April? Like, eight trading days, not even? Yeah. Yeah. This month might end up somewhere well, around I here. So you, do want to see, you do, you do want to see the volume confirmed price. So I do agree with you, Kalen. Yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm looking at the volume profile, like along the y-axis there on the, the right. The other hand. thing is I would much rather enter a stock that's been consolidating for a period of time. Like yeah. if you can pop up socks, S-O-X-X. So this is the uh, semiconductor index. So when you buy this, you get a basket of all of the semiconductor stocks, including um, AMD, NVIDIA. Yeah, well, you see those long upper wicks, though. Like you have that morning star pattern. You got the high volume last month. Um, it looks like it is uh, it is testing that all-time high that it was testing. If that's a monthly chart, that would be what, like January, February? Yeah. Yeah. So I feel January, like- January, February, March, April. It is setting us up for a test of the all-time highs, and it's really strong, man. It closed uh, closed the week at the high for the week. Like that's really what you want. So I don't see this not opening up at uh, at higher levels um, tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow's Monday. Yeah, that's right. I got some decisions to make tonight because I want to get into a couple of these after what I've been. <laughs> I know after what I've been reading about semiconductors, I gotta gotta get my, get my well for full disclosure. Guys. I've been long socks for years. And it's performed incredibly well, as you can see. And every single time it's pulled back, uh, the pullbacks have been painful, but it's been a buy on a silver platter. It's been a great buy. What do you, is, is Intel in socks, though? Intel is in socks, yes. They all are. See, I think that's why I would probably... You'd love to have socks X Intel, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would love it. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm just so bearish Intel right now. Um, yeah. Cause, okay, so, so here's another point, right? So on that technology thing, because I was saying they're behind, even they admitted they're behind. In our last earnings report, they, they even said, we're going to go to TSMC for our higher end chips where, where we need the performance and the, and the power savings. And we're going to create our own shittier chips and give it to everybody else. So I'm like, that's not a good, that's not a good look. <laughs> right? So I don't know. If, let, me pull up, let me pull up Intel. Let me see what uh, Kalen thinks. It's performed better the last couple of sessions, actually. Uh, this is on the weekly. Oh, oh, oh! I, I did, I did notice this before. It's on a huge uh, cup and handle. Oh wow! De- decades oh. long. Yeah. So I mean, it could go. So this is the only thing. It could, looks like it could go either way, man. It could do like a crazy breakout. I think yeah, this I saw- thing's going higher. However, I think it's going to have to probably 
test that uh, horizontal support line like one more time. It looks like it's all time high with 75 bucks back in 2000, just before the dot com crash. <laughs> wow, it's basically traded two decades to, to get back to its old all time. Well, highs. If, if you can look at uh, socks again, because uh, this will yeah. really put Intel into perspective, socks, but not with two X's, with one X now. Perfect. Uh, this one. With one X, just socks, S O X. Where is that? There we go. It's an index. It's an index. Perfect. Okay. If you can go to the monthly and go back to 2000, it's the same exact thing. It's the same exact it setup. It broke out. Two years lag. It broke out. Uh, had to test a couple of times and come back. Uh, but this is why I love semiconductors. Because I always say, man, large consolidations lead to large breakouts. And this is what's happening with semiconductors right now. Semis are going a lot higher, man. If you believe in tech and you believe in the future, then you believe in semiconductors. I believe it. But it, but what, so wouldn't this be a good bear case for Intel? Because seeing that the semiconductor industry broke out, what is this, back in 18, it just killed it. What, what do they do? They did 100% the entire industry, whereas Intel is still trying to break out the that car. <laughs> yeah. That's not good. Well, you know that's I mean? really interesting because you always want to be in the best stocks in any sector. So Intel seems like it's the laggard. Every semiconductor stock is breaking out. Intel yeah. still below like a you know, 20, 22 year peak. Yeah. You know, it'd be great as if that like broke out and had a big rejection. That's where I would jump in if I was shorting it. I bet you the rejection is probably going to be around that $74, $75 area, that previous high. Yeah. Like if it hits right. that and you get a good, like a big red candle back down, <laughs> that's, I mean, if everything you're saying is is holding true, then I would say that's pretty much game over. Yeah. And you're looking at, we got a divergence on the RSI. I mean, it's the monthly, so it doesn't mean Ooh, that yeah, much, but it's there. There's divergence there, eh? Yeah. Because it, <laughs> it made a higher, it made a higher high. I, yep. I can't see on your chart if that was in January or February, but still. What I would watch for is I would watch RSI. I would continue to watch that. If it makes a higher high here, then you may, for a short-term trade, uh, want to go long. Yeah. I Up think, I think bucks, that's not a bad return. Well, for me, it's still a fundamental. Like, the, the charts kind of, the technicals kind of point to what I was thinking about, but it's still a fundamental play to me where it's like, where I'm thinking, you know they're doing they're like volkswagen to me they're like doing this on they're going on this huge press conference they got a new ceo they're trying to drive the stock up build some excitement but fundamentally they're still haven't solved any problems right so i think it's going to play out within two to three years, whether or not they've solved those problems and from mm -hmm. what my own research is saying is that they're not even close to solving it. and if by the time they do solve it um china will be chip independent and tsmc will be even further ahead with their five and even smaller nanometer technology where Intel's still using a 14 nanometer. So, so, so I just want to quickly explain that. So when you see chips, you see them being made in these wafers, right? They'll print them out little chips in these wafers and they'll chop them out. The smaller and more condensed you can make the transistors, the less wafers you use. So this is cheaper for manufacturers, right? So the smaller the technology, the more you can condense, the less it costs them to make a chip. On top of that, the, the more you can condense a transistor, the less energy it takes and the more efficient it is. And so, Think about the fact that TSMC is on seven and Intel's on 14. They are a whole generation behind and they're just starting to do their 10 and Apple's on a five. So like, it's not a good look. It's not a good look at all, man. They're lagging completely. Yeah, yeah. So that's my thoughts on that. But um, do you want to touch on the NFT thing real quick before we shut it down? Perfect. Yeah, so, so we can, if we can start talking about NFTs, uh, we can uh, put out the article. Sorry to bust your bubble. NFT prices slump 70%. Sales of NFT linked to art dropped from 16.7 million to 12.5. But experts say it's not a permanent dip. All right, you're the expert on NFTs. Okay, well, for those of you who do not know, NFTs is non-fungible tokens. And in simpler terms, it's a unique, verifiable asset that you can trade on the blockchain. If you still do not know what that is, because that is pretty complex, uh, we can pop up uh, Beeple's uh, art that sold for $69 million. Uh, but by the way, Beeple doesn't care about NFTs either because I heard he transferred that his his money to cash like right away after that sale. So it was a cash So he's grab. not holding Ether? No, he's not. Right away, he transferred that money to cash. So this piece of art sold at a Christie's auction, $69.3 million, uh, which is astounding because it's not like a physical piece of art. It's uh, essentially just a JPEG. And while like I may or may not be on board with that, you see art sell for <sighs> prices all the time. 
um, you know, it's nice to look at. Maybe it's one-on-one. It's niche. What really I cannot get on board with are these. So a lot of uh, crypto speculators have been throwing their money. I know it's ridiculous. What is this? Look at that guy. Look at number one and number two, March 11th. They sold for $7.5 million. This is like a mishmax of um, pixels that like a third grader could have made in Microsoft Paint. So I think that NFTs is a really, really dangerous buzzword. And I see this story play out time and time again. Like we can relate it to the tulip bulb mania in the Netherlands in the 1600s. We can relate it to like the Japanese asset bubble or my favorite, the Beanie Babies. But I actually like the Beanie Babies more because the cost of production for these crypto punks is nothing. So if you're asking me, which would I rather invest in? Would I invest in crypto punks or Beanie Babies? I'm going Beanie Babies all the way. Caitlin, do you have any comments on this shit before I rip it apart? I have a lot of comments, but it's probably not very appropriate. Listen, so I I I like the fact that NFTs exist, but they are completely being misused. What NFTs should really do is represent copyright. You know, yes. if you have a song, if you have Work of, works of art, if you have written copy, it should represent the copyright and that copyright gets transferred digitally on a blockchain, secured, verifiable. That's the, this, I, <laughs> it makes no sense. Like, I, I could, I could go on here right now and just screenshot this and crop it out. <laughs> like, so I, I have a question for both of you though. Do you think that people that are investing in crypto punks think that they are actually worth anything? Or do you think it's the greater fool theory? Greater full theory. I don't know. I, I think everybody that's putting money in this right now is just really excited because they think it's the next big exciting thing and they have no idea what it is. Because everything I've seen, like since these things came out, any like like I, I can't remember the companies. There was there's companies that like produce auto parts and they're saying, Oh, we're selling NFTs now in a press release and stock jumps up like hundred percent. It's the same thing that happened in twenty seventeen with Bitcoin. Like, you know, the past like three, four weeks. That's all you're seeing is like, you know, a pharmaceutical company says, you know, just they put NFT in a press release that's unrelated and stock jumps like 40%. Like it's. We saw that um, when we uh, had the first crypto bubble in 2017, yeah. 2018, Long Island blockchain. Do you guys remember that one? Yeah. Yes. What about Kodak? Yeah. Sorry? That's right. What about Kodak? Eastman Kodak. Yeah, Kodak. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I traded that one a lot. Yeah. Oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> It's the problem moves. with the greater fool theory, though, it's a game of hot potato. Eventually, the jig's up, the music stops, and if you're the one holding the bag, then you, my friend, are the greater fool, and shame on you. Yeah, yeah none, of, none of the ones that I've seen have lasted more than, like, a morning when they go up. <laughs> so so there's a lot of fundamental issues with, with NFTs as well, right? So let's say... Because so I'm I'm hearing about some companies putting like digital assets like Pokemon and you know Pokemon could be rare, Yu-Gi-Oh could be rare, whatever, right? And so they're natively digital assets. You attach them to an NFT, you make them rare. Okay, that's cool. But here's my problem: if you put that NFT on a blockchain, you have to tell me that blockchain will be here 10, 20, 30 years from now, right? You put it on some shit blockchain. I paid them half a million dollars for a fucking Yu-Gi-Oh, and they shut shut down for whatever reason. I'm not cool with that. Right. If you put NFTs on maybe Ethereum, but most likely if you could find a way to make it work with Bitcoin, I might put half a million dollars into something, you know. So what do you guys think are the actual like long term implications for these things, though? Because like I know David, he said copyright and stuff. But like, you know, if it's a song or something like that, you know, you, you just copy like we're doing that now. We're copywriting songs. We're copywriting artwork. I mean, it's it's already being done. So what like what's even the point in these things? Well, for me, it's like if you put copyright on an NFT, it becomes much easier to track and transfer, right? So, like, let's say you, you get a copyright for a song, right? Like, let's say you buy the uh, Michael Jackson collection from, I don't know who owns it, whoever owns that, those, those records, right? Yeah. How many lawyers and how much paperwork do you have to sign? And then now you have to store that paperwork in a freaking vault. And you know what I mean? And then if you're going to sell this to somebody, now you get to hire another lawyer company to verify those. So that's like a whole issue, right? Whereas if you actually have these things on a blockchain, it's trustless. Like that's the whole, that's the whole People idea. People are getting that, completely carried away with this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, a thousand percent. You could, you, could, you could put anything on this and you could and put why like, does this always happen in the crypto sphere? Always. They get carried away with absolutely <laughs> everything. 
Remember Crypto Kitties? And it's always retail holding the bag every single time. Oh, yeah. And it's always oh, me holding the money. <laughs> Listen, this, this reminds me of that old saying where a, a fool and his money are soon to be parted. I, yeah, I have no I problems that. with... I have no problems with retail losing their shirts off this shit because yeah. you deserve oh, I have it. No problems. And you brought up uh, Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon. I haven't yeah. seen that yet, but I've seen it with NBA Top Shots, and apparently yeah. that thing is going down um, faster than it went up. So, so here's my thing. When I saw that, what I thought it was wasn't what it ended up being because you 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 buy the NFT and you, you got what like a highlight reel of whatever, right? My thought was like. Do I own the rights to that highlight reel? Does that mean every time ESPN plays that shit, they need to pay me a royalty? Because I would no, pay for that. Not at all. You just own it on the blockchain. You own right. like I don't understand but, it. Like you can search up like LeBron James dunk highlights on YouTube, right. and but you that's can my point. You don't actually own it. Like YouTube to MP4, and really, what's the difference of you having ownership? And it's not like it's one of one. It's not like you own that clip. No, it's like oh, you and forty thousand people own that too, but. Somehow it's worth like twenty five thousand or two hundred and fifty thousand each. So that's what I mean. like, in the billions for this small clip. And let's be real, LeBron James is making highlights every night that he's playing. I know he's but, not but, playing now because he's out, but still. Right, but my point is, it's not real ownership, right? I saw Kalen nod his head, and he's like, "Yeah, it makes sense if you own no, the nothing. rights to that no, clip." Absolutely nothing. Right. Yeah, that's so what I mean. it's like, yeah, like if you, it's like if you own a song, right? You know, you own a song every time it plays on the radio, you get two cents or whatever. That that would be. Very different. Yeah. <laughs> or if you or if you want one of these stupid little caricatures, you know, and every time somebody looked at it, you got a penny or something. Like that would be different. Right. That's why to but Brandon's point, yeah. It, that, that's why to Brandon's point, it is the greater fool theory because it's not actually worth anything, right? It's just what the next guy thinks. Oh, it's it's valuable that it is valuable, but it, there's no copyright to it. The copyright is the real value. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think that a lot of these people don't necessarily believe in CryptoPunks. I mean, maybe some people do, but they still think, oh, maybe a year from now, there's going to be someone that's going to be even more enthusiastic about CryptoPunks and he'll pay a thousand, two thousand, five thousand percent more than I paid at a later date. And that's where he thinks that he's going to be running all the way to the bank with his money. If that ever happens, I'm going to call Elon Musk myself and tell him to make me move to Mars. <laughs> I will be, I'll come, I will be so kind is hopeless, man. If this is what we're doing, <laughs> I'm coming with you, man. This is ridiculous. Oh, 8,000 plus in sales. 8,000 plus in sales. Oh, wow. $296 million in sales. Think about the people that are buying these things. Like, I'm looking at some of these prices, like, you know, seven and a half million bucks. I mean, you know, these aren't, these aren't just like, you know, retail guys on lower level. Like, these are guys with big money. Like, you got seven and a half million bucks to, like, just you know instantly drop on a picture like this you gotta you gotta be a pretty high up individual but back to my point the cost to produce these are nothing i'm sure they have um some sort of um like skew that they can just switch oh i'm gonna make uh the blue guy green and then put like a backwards cap on him smoking a cigarette and that's another seven or eight million dollars that you look, can print. look 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 it's look. essentially just like a never-ending money printer like it just makes no sense to me the difference between the 1.5 million and the 1.8 million is a hat and a pair of sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best. A I cigarette love it. and a bandana. Come on. This is so and great. If it was just CryptoPunks, I'd be like, okay, it's like a niche thing. It's like it's really popular these days. It's like Pet Rock or Pokemon, whatever. But there's like, I saw Bull Run Babes. I don't even want you to pop up, Bull Run Babes. Crypto Kitties <laughs> for years prior. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's not even appropriate enough for this conversation. But yeah, um, digital. So are these already? Like, are these things already coming down? Apparently, according to the article, like seventy percent. These are big moves, man. Yeah, yeah. They didn't last long. Like, I was only seeing them in small caps for like I want to say like maybe three weeks or like three and a half weeks that people were really talking about them. Like, it wasn't long, but they were squeezing. Like, I was talking like, in. August, I was like, hey, we have to find some way to profit on these NFTs. Yeah. And I was looking at like Engine Coin, they were doing the uh, digital collectibles for the video games. And we were looking at some of the marketplaces like Rarible and uh, OpenSea. But me and him sort of concluded that there's really no way to play it. 
Right. Um, I think I'd rather play the companies that are like making these tokens and that are actually able to sell them for seven or eight million dollars. But they know that their businesses are so valuable. They're not selling share in their businesses. They're just selling their worthless product. Yeah. for me. Like the only way for me to think about that's even safe to make money is if I was a VC and I was behind like this Larva Labs or something like that. But even then, it's risky. I, I think this, is, this has got 12 months on it tops. It's just I mean, risky to your character. I mean, I think it's unethical to be selling these. <laughs> well, I'm kind of a free market guy. You could sell, you know, within reason, you know, you could sell whatever you want to say. You know, you can't sell a kidney, but you, you want to sell some digital pieces of shit. Like, go ahead. I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> well, yeah, if there's someone that's willing to pay whatever price for it, then yeah. sure. But I think it all goes back to the greater flow theory. And there's obviously a lot of stupid people out there that are just throwing their dollar bills at anything that is playing to these uh, trends that are in vogue. Yeah. So I think we should end it on a caution where I was alluding to, we, I think we've talked about this before, where I think um, this def either defy or NFT, I think this is going to end up being the the 2000 internet.com bubble and it's going to leave a lot of people in a lot of bad place yeah. yeah well you were telling me this last time and me and you just completely agreed on this when we said just because someone tells you something is good just because it's going to go up in value for no other reason that's when you have to be skeptical about it you have to push back do your own research that way you'll have no one else to blame but yourself yeah I think a lot of people just don't do that though because they're you know they don't know anything about the markets and somebody tells them to buy something and they know they trade they just listen to them but. yeah i know this this it's a shirt this this it's a bad it's one of the bad things that came out of social right you could really transfer information really really quickly like like disseminate information right you, you make a few bucks on nft you can message like 100 of your friends like hey get in on this thing like, yeah i'm making a ton of money it's so bad yeah all right all right, guys. Thank you for watching. Thanks. Awesome discussion. Um, tune in Kaylin, next week. A lot of fun, guys. Looking forward to next week. Hope you all enjoy. Good luck moving, Kaylin. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>